Welcome to Educate to Elevate, the Home Educators Hub, the podcast dedicated to helping you unlock the full potential of home education. Welcome back to Home Educator Institute here in our podcast, Educate to Elevate. We're so glad that you're back. We're really excited about continuing the conversation around our pillars of learning. And we started that conversation last week, Carmen. I want to tell you this week, we have been freezing to death here in Texas, which is a little weird. We're not used to that. Um, in fact, I have my warm educate coffee today with me because I have to be drinking something warm, warm to survive during this time. My husband um, decides to keep our thermostat very low. And so we do a lot of blankets and jackets inside the house. But today we're finally at 40 degrees. So a little bit better than the last few days we were freezing And let me tell you, I did a lot of learning around how to prepare a house for freezing weather and paying attention to how you're feeling, making sure that you're warm enough and all these things. So there was a process of teaching and learning going on, uh, of learning new things for this experience that we, we had this week and thinking about our conversation as I was doing this learning, like how does this, how do these things apply, right, to this process that we're living this week? And um, even as my husband trying to teach me how to perfectly leave the water spout open just enough so that the water doesn't freeze in the pipes. And it was a whole learning experience. And I was able to see like the teaching and the instruction and the correction going on that in that whole process as he was teaching me, because he's like, no, 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 that's too much. No, that's not enough. No, you open it first and then you close it slowly. And he's teaching me. And I thought, man, even at our age, we can live out these processes of learning and the different steps that it takes to do deep learning and and learning that we're going to be able to keep. So I I definitely had our theme in mind this whole week as I was observing these interactions um, with my husband, and I thought it was cute. I thought it was great that we could um, actually put into practice at any time when we're learning something new and paying attention to these to these columns that we're calling them or pillars that we're calling them. And today we're um, going to be specifically talking about teaching. And I just want to um, define a bit on what we mean when I'm talking about teaching. It's the interactive process that involves imparting knowledge skills or values, right, to another person. So it's actually giving a gift of what I know and what I have to you. And that's how I see teaching. I love that definition because impartation, I love that word impartation, but to me it has to be with giving a blessing. And blessing just means giving a good thing right? That's what it means. Good, good words to another person. And that's what it is when you have a gift, when you have the knowledge, when you know how to do something, you have a skill or you have a strong value. 
and you give that gift to somebody else by act of impartation, that's a blessing. And um, I'm excited for us to get into digging a little deeper into how what that looks like in the practical. But as a definition, I think that's the best one that I found, and I I really love it. What is your definition of teaching, Carmen? I think that there's teaching that is really overt and visible and teaching that happens that may be more powerful, that may be unintentional and maybe not visible. So when I think about teaching, I think about both of those things, sort of Mm -hmm. what are, what are, what are my students learning just by being with me and observing me? And what are they learning when we sit down together for me to intentionally impart something? Yeah, I love that because a lot of teaching is caught. Mm -hmm. So it's not that you're handing it directly into, into their hand, that you're putting it directly in their hand or their minds, but that they're observing and watching and seeing you uh, react, seeing you interact, right? I think we've been told quite a bit the best way to teach your child the love of learning is to have them see you read, right? And um, and I think it is like that with anything. Uh, and then at the end of the day, they're going to use it or not use it according to their to their giftings. I mean, I know that my girls saw me in the kitchen quite a bit, observe me in the kitchen quite a bit. Today, the way they interact with that knowledge is, mom, can you make us this? <laughs> because none of them love the kitchen. But that doesn't mean they didn't learn. I mean, they, they learned other things. Maybe they didn't want to do it themselves, but they did learn that there was love behind the creating that if they call me and ask me for something that because that's my gifting and that's what I love, that it's going to be, you know, something that we can do together or that I can give, give them as a gift. I love that you say that because teaching is so much about creating the personal connection. And we've talked a lot about that here in the podcast. And Really, it's the heart of Home Educator Institute, but building relationships and understanding within that relationship, the individual needs of the learner makes all the difference in the teaching because it really gives you the opportunity to tailor the teaching, which goes to adaptability, to tailor that teaching or your teaching methods to suit the person that you're trying to teach. And that only happens within relationship. If you don't know your student, if you don't know your child, then it's going to be very hard to be able to to tailor the teaching, to be able to adapt it, or even, even make it engaging. Because the interests of children vary so much. And especially when you're going to teach something, you have the need to teach something that maybe your child isn't that excited about, requires knowing what really makes them tick, right? What's going to open up a sense of 
awe around this new teaching, even if it's something that's not that exciting to them. You can make it exciting when you know your child well enough to tailor the teaching to them. Um, And of course, creating encouragement and motivation around it also requires relationship. So everything around teaching is first about building those relationships and understanding the individual needs of those that you are going to teach. Um, And ultimately, I think the last step for me is communicating to those that that you're teaching that you're learning with them that you're creating community around the learning, that you don't have all the answers, that you don't know every single detail there is to know about this subject, but that you're willing to work together. So all of those elements, right, the personal connection, the adaptability, the level of engagement, the motivation, encouragement, the continuous learning, everything around that is built on relationship. Yes. I. You said you mentioned a couple of words that really stood out to me. Um, one was at the very beginning when you were talking about impartation and blessing, and that just made me think of the word gift because when I was thinking about our recording today, I really thought that one of the greatest gifts um, of teaching that you can give to your child. And, and it's a great gift because it's so crucial is the gift of language. Hmm. And you're talking about relationship and interaction and how teaching involves that and communication and learning together. And that takes me straight to the, um, really foundational publication of a Soviet pedagogist named Lev Vygotsky. And his work, Thought and Learning, was published in 1934. So he talks about, really, he goes very, very into supreme depths of nerdiness to try and explain and communicate to us this intertwining of thought and language mm-hmm. and how it really gets to a point where thought cannot exist without language. So um, the basic tenets of his work are something called the zone of proximal development. So that means you want to have your students or your child working in the next place up from where they are. So an illustration of this would be you can't keep, you don't want your baby just crawling because they know how to crawl. At some point they're going to, you're going to have to let them pull themselves up and start holding on to furniture because they're learning how to walk. That's their zone of proximal development. Yes. Um, He talks about scaffolding, which would be, right, the pulling up on the furniture on your way to learning how to walk. He talks about the importance of social interaction and learning. He talks about cultural context and our families are a culture. 
Our families are part of a larger mm -hmm. culture, but our families are a, sort of this a micro culture. And so learning is very specifically a socio-cultural phenomenon. And he talks about the um, more knowledgeable other, which can be a, a peer who knows a little bit more, the parent, the teacher. And he also goes into depth about how talking to yourself is such an important part of learning. So <clears throat> when you hear young children talk to themselves during imaginative play, that is a very important milestone because until they reach a certain age, which is about eight years old, seven or eight, children really can't think without talking their thought. That's how intertwined language and thinking are. So when I think about teaching and creating an environment in your home, for me, this has to do with socially connecting and talking with and listening to your child from before birth even, hmm. if you want to, because they can hear sounds. They start to hear sounds and rhythms of language before they're even born. There are really important developmental milestones when the brain is developing that have to do with language and thought in the first three years of life, zero to three years. Hmm. And they are crucial. If these things don't happen and, and they all happen in the context of safety and loving exchanges um, between the caregiver and the baby, things won't be ideal. Of course, the brain is an incredible organ and, and it can learn to compensate, but it will have a much higher road as far yeah. as cognitive, the thinking processes developing as they should. Um, I'm thinking of another very famous study that was published in 2003 um, by a duo named Hart and Risley. It's called The Early Catastrophe, The 30 Million Word Gap by Age 3. Wow. So by age 3, children should be read to, talked to, sung to enough that they have a very significant vocabulary and the vocabulary they have at age three and then again at age five when they enter kindergarten is a very significant predictor of their academic achievement. So when I think about imparting a blessing or a gift, this is what I think about. Yes. Um, and when I think about how children best learn language, I think about activity. You mentioned your daughter seeing you in the kitchen and, you know, even talking about turning on the faucet the right way, right? That's an activity. You're doing something with your hands. Your more knowledgeable other is there. Mm -hmm. coaching you, you're talking about it, you're communicating, 
you have the language you need to understand what is being said to you as you're processing also the visuals and the, the physical connection. This is the heart of teaching. It's attaching language to experience. Even yes. if the first experience, right, is, is skin on skin as an infant and the language is singing. Um, so that's the greatest gift to me. And I don't know, we probably could do a whole episode and we probably should on screen time. Yes. But when I start thinking about this and the importance of, you know, talking and interacting, that's immediately what comes into my mind is screen time and the detrimental effects of screen time versus time with a significant, more knowledgeable other. Yes, especially when that screen time is dumb time, right? I remember when, I remember, I mean, when my children were very young preschoolers, we didn't have iPads or anything like that. We were just starting to have uh, cell phones, but there wasn't uh, too much screen time competition. It was TV and that was pretty much it, but we did use it. And I remember all of these shows above and beyond um, Sesame Street, which was the thing when I was growing up and still uh, going on. But all of these new preschool shows started coming out right around the 90s, you know. And I remember when, I'm not going to mention the show by name, I'm just going to say that it was one of those preschool shows where there wasn't much language. There, there was a lot of little noises, you know, but no, no real language interaction. And so it was these figures just, you know, with each other, but not really talking. And I remember my husband watched it like one or two times with the kids. And then he turns to me and says, okay, never again will our children watch this TV program. This is for becoming stupid. I mean, this, this is, what is this? It's not teaching them anything, no value, and there's no language involved. And there's, and he was just, no, this is not good. And so that took us in that process of evaluating what we, if we were going to give our children screen time, we were going to choose what, what really they were, what they were interacting with and what we, uh, approved of, but we wanted it to be valuable. Mm -hmm. If it was going to be time away from us and it was going to be used to give us a break, <laughs> you know, then, right. then we needed to, to choose correctly. And the other day I read a, a, a meme in one of the social media outlets that said, if screen time gives you a time to recuperate and re-energize and gives you time to yourself, don't feel guilty, right? So it was kind of like empowering mothers to say, you know, you don't have to feel guilty every time you put your kid in front of a screen. I agree up to a certain point, but we can always take those things to an extreme. Well, this is my me time. Well, then make that time valuable. So make sure that you're putting intentionality behind that. And I think what you were saying is 
when I'm choosing the screen time, what are the valuable things that they're so that the children are getting? And one of those is language building. So choose programs where they're talking to you and they're explaining to you and you get to interact and make sure it's not just stupid mind things, you know, that yeah. just put your mind in neutral break. But going back to to what you were saying, I love Vygotsky. I think that once you understand that connection with language is important. But I do want to mention, Carmen, that not every parent is an extrovert and not every parent is an auditory learner. Mm -hmm. So uh, when we talk a little bit more about learning styles, we'll we'll talk about more about auditory learners learn from hearing, but they actually learn from hearing themselves talk. Mm -hmm. Not, you know, it helps to hear other people, but the real the real learning comes from he hearing hearing themselves talk. And so you were talking a little bit about that how very young children need to hear their learning process is taking place. Um, and they need to speak it out so that they can better absorb the learning. Um, auditory learners never outgrow that. They are continually talking to themselves because they talk through processes. Uh, and so I'm an auditory learner, so I know a lot about that. You know, sometimes people might think that I'm a little crazy because I'm talking to myself all the time. But it's I need to have conversations with myself so that I can make sure that I'm learning and remembering things well. Um, so I talk a lot, but not everybody's an auditory learner and not everybody is an extrovert. That doesn't mean that language doesn't take place. Mm -hmm. Because nonverbal language is also very important. And especially when you're teaching your, your children the nuances of communication, being able to observe somebody's face, how they react to somebody, Did, are they happy, are they sad, um, are they understanding the gestures we use, the, our body language. Learning to communicate with body language is just as important. It's another process, and it depends on the developmental stage of your child. But these observations start taking place from the time of birth. So you are going to communicate to your child, even if you never speak, whether you're tired, whether you're happy, whether you're not that excited to cook dinner that night, or whatever you're communicating. And I'm thinking about, for example, I was talking about my husband. My husband is a hands-on learner. So because he's a hands-on learner, his way of communicating with our children when he was teaching them something was to show them and to communicate around that. Very little words took place in that interaction. He's an introvert, a man of very little vocabulary when it comes to talking, but there was a lot of communication and language around that teaching because it was just a different way of expression. And so let's keep that in mind as we get to know our children, also understand them there, we might have some of our children that don't appreciate too much talking. 
they they're like mom can you just like be quiet for 10 minutes right <laughs> because that's what their their temperament and their need is and so they might not need so much verbal language they might need more of the touching and the singing and the just being together quietly that mm -hmm. also communicates so much and and it can be the other way around too i i my youngest son can talk anybody over anybody at any time, like at a thousand miles an hour and always has something to say. And I remember when my husband used to take him, they would go take carpentry classes together and it was an hour drive. And my husband would come home and he was exhausted because he had been listening to this child talk and talk and talk. But so my husband would tell him, Ariel, let's play a game where you're quiet for 10 minutes and I give you something or whatever, you know, it's kind of like an exchange of, can you be quiet a little bit? And Ariel would say, I don't like playing that game. I always lose. <laughs> I want to talk. Um, and so, so it was part of our teaching process with him was, that's great, but you can't talk all the time. You need mm -hmm. to learn to be quiet with yourself. So let's practice, right? And there was th th those uh, teaching moments required us to model being okay in quiet spaces and reading for five minutes and not having to verbally express yourself every time. So, I, so it's complex, mm -hmm. right? It's complex and it brings us back to knowing ourselves well, what are our learning styles? What are our strengths? How do we process language? How do we interact with language? And how do we express our nonverbal communication? And also getting to know our children in each of those um, spaces so that we can truly build an environment of continuous learning in our home. Agreed. <laughs> Great. Well, it might sound super hard as we get used to uh, implementing these ideas in our home. It's um, it gets easier. It gets easier. It's complex, but it does get easier. So I do want to encourage you to continue listening. The next three episodes are going to be about the other three pillars of learning. Um, teaching is one of my favorites. And so I'm glad we were able to have this conversation today, Carmen. Any closing thoughts? Just responding to when you said it, it seems complicated. I think communicating it and finding the words, right, to communicating what's happening is complicated. But these things are already happening in my home, in our homes. Yeah, we're already doing it. So it's complicated to a degree only because we're trying to talk about the the ideas and, and a lot of things that are invisible. And it's important to to be able to exchange ideas and come together around these ideas so that we can be intentional and really leverage those um, special moments that help our children gain deep understandings. Yes. So this is the place to be. This is the place to be for that as we um, learn together. 
We want to remind you to join our Facebook group. Carmen is managing that group, but that's really a place where we can interact. We can learn from each other. Uh, we can share ideas around how are we implementing this teaching uh, in our homes and how could those ideas work maybe for somebody else. Um, and I think that that's really a, a place to go, right? Our Facebook group, Carmen, I, I'm enjoying those interactions there. Yes. And the name of it is Educate to Elevate. Yes. Same as the podcast. So it's easy to find. Also, um, continue interacting in our Instagram account. There's always interesting things going up there, ideas and fun implementations and special quotes. And we try to um, give you a lot of value in what we post in our Instagram account. So if you can go over there, follow us and share with other people and invite them to join this community. We would greatly appreciate that, but also because we want this space to be a space where we're all growing together. So thank you for joining us today. We will see you next week as we talk about instruction. Thanks for joining the conversation. Please comment, like, and share if you're as passionate as us when it comes to elevating and educating children and youth. Want to reach us? Connect on social at Home Educator Institute.